Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Faith Without Works is Dead. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. God has certain things set down in His Word that it becomes our responsibility to do. And this is important that you understand what we're talking about tonight because lots of people miss God's power and God moving in their behalf because they don't realize they're part of the bargain. But you see, the Lord Jesus, it's not up to Him by Himself to move and to answer prayer. Now, don't anybody go to taking what I'm saying wrong. Like in Lamar, this lady came last uh, Thursday who thought that we were of the devil. And she was really in trouble. And so she came to this other girl that has just started going to the Bible studies in Lamar. And she was needing help and said, where can I go? Nobody can help me. Nobody knows any answers to my questions. And so Cindy says, well, you ought to come to this Bible study and told her about it. And she says, oh, I know about that. That's of the devil. I've heard about that for six months, you know. And Cindy says, well, it's not so bad. I go there all the time. And so got to talk to her anyway. She came, and I talked to her, and then she came to the service Thursday, and she got delivered of all kinds of stuff. Boy, she is really turned on, set free. But she told me that one of the things she heard was that I, we were going around saying, it's not God doesn't save you, it's faith. And God doesn't heal you, it's your faith. And the way they arrived at that is because it is not up to God to save you. He has already done everything about it that he's going to do. It's your turn to receive it, you see. And somebody that was trying to nitpick and find something wrong with what I was saying took it and said that God doesn't save you. It's your faith. Let those guys lay hands on you, see, it's their faith that does it. Well, that's misconstrued. I don't want anybody to think that. But at the same time, you need to see that you've got to be joint heirs. If it was only up to the Lord Jesus Christ to save people, then every person would be saved. Did you know it? Let's look at a scripture at this in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, 2, it says, or let's start reading with verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation, or that means the payment, the atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he is a propitiation for our, for our sin, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, the sins of the entire world have been already paid for. They have already been atoned for. Now, if you sing this song about Say I Do, that's a nice song, but it's got one phrase in it that is deadly and completely contrary to the Word, and that is that if you can turn away and walk away after all he died to do, that's when I'll just have to say, I guess he didn't die for you. Well, that's just as unscriptural as it can be. Jesus took the sins of everybody. I don't care if it's the most reprobate sinner that ever lived. His sins are already paid for. They've been judged. They have been forgiven. And they are in the pits of hell. His sins have already had the price paid for them. His sins are as much forgiven as ours are. But the deal is, you've got to receive. Until you receive that, it will profit a person nothing. The thing that's going to send people to hell is the rejection of the Savior, the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sins have been paid for. And if they refuse to accept the atonement, then they're going to have to pay again for those sins that Jesus already took in his body. There's no reason they have to do that. Does everybody see that? But the sins of the whole world have already come into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took the sins of everybody. There's another scripture that says he's the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Now, isn't that a strange way of putting it? But you see, he is the Savior of all men. Whether a person accepts it or not, Jesus is their Savior. He did die for their sins, and he has already paid for their sins. It's just the fact that very few people are accepting it. But you see, it was God's will to save everybody, and from God's standpoint, God has died for the drunk out here tonight that's in rebellion at him. He has, just as, he has done just as much to save them as he has to save you and me tonight. There is no difference in God at all. The only difference is that I have received it by faith and that I'm walking in it and other people have rejected it. But you see, God is just as much the Savior of people out here from His standpoint as He is of us. It's us that made the difference in our life. It was His power. It's His atonement. But it's the, when we opened up and by faith received it that we became Christians. We weren't waiting on God to save us. God was waiting on us to receive what He had already done. Y'all see that? 
But that's the truth. And God, see, has already done everything, but people forget and they don't know that there is more involved in it than that. And something that we've been stressing lately, you know, we've seen a lot of people saved just in the last week or two. We saw two people saved uh, Thursday night that was really powerful. I wish y'all could have been there. But, I mean, it was powerful. They got saved, didn't give an invitation, didn't even ask anybody if they wanted to get saved. But the power of God was moving so strong, people were getting healed and delivered and miracles happening that they just stood up and received it and began to confess to everybody, I've accepted, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, go to praying in tongues. Boy, it's powerful. And we're seeing people get saved, and we're seeing miracles happening because during these times I've been mentioning that, that what salvation is, that it's not enough to believe that there is a God. There's a scripture. Let's look at this scripture from James chapter 2, verse 19. James 2, 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. That is the biggest put-down in the Word of God that I've ever seen. Now, you talk about a satire or, or however you're supposed to say that. This, it's the biggest understatement in the Word of God. You believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. Well, that's pretty strong. Just because you believe that there's one God doesn't mean a thing. Hell is going to be full of people that believe that there's a God. There is nobody that does not believe that there's a God. Now, there are people that say that they don't believe that there's God, but they believe there's God, according to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Every person every, ever born believes there's a God. Now, they may try and push it out. They may try and deceive themselves. They may get them a doctrine and say they're agnostics. And they may even get themselves to where they're seared from the conviction of God, but they have known that there is a God, and you wait until that person hits a foxhole or is on their deathbed and see if they believe there's a God. And I was with a bunch of people that told me there's atheists in Vietnam, and you won't wait until those mortars start falling and the rounds start falling, they all went to calling on this God that they didn't believe was there. That's a, don't you ever let anybody talk you out of it and say they don't believe there's a God. If you're trying to witness somebody who says they're agnostic or an, or an atheist, that's nothing but a lie in their heart. The Bible says every person knows God has put that knowledge within every person. And all you got to do is just keep talking to them and ignore what they're saying about, I don't believe it. Because if I had a sword in my hand tonight, if somebody says, oh, I don't believe that sword will hurt me, well, what does that have to do with anything? I can still slice them to pieces whether they believe it or not. They sit there and say, oh, I don't believe there's a God. Just keep telling them. Just keep preaching it to them, and it'll convict them. Boy, it'll bear witness in their heart, and you can penetrate right to them. I've talked to a bunch of atheists, and every time I've, been, every time I've gotten through talking to one, they've admitted that they knew there's a God because I just ignored what they said. I said, I don't mean to be mean to you, but you're a liar. The Word of God says so. You know there's a God. And I tell them that, and you know that they know it. When you get to them like that, they really do. But anyway... What I'm saying is everybody believes that there's a God. That is not salvation. Most people in the United States would acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Most people would acknowledge that you're supposed to live a holy life and stuff like that, but that is not salvation. Our churches are filled, the majority of our churches are filled, excuse me, church buildings. Let's use it that way since we just said that about churches, amen. This is church. Majority of our church buildings, church organizations are filled with people that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're religious. They may be some of the best people. They may have gone to church all their life. They'd, boy, they'd rather just take a whipping than cuss or do anything like that. Boy, they are good religious people. But salvation is accepting Jesus into your life. Eternal life is in Christ Jesus. This is the true God and eternal life. 1 John 5, 20 says that. Jesus is eternal life. Eternal life is not a thing that's just credited to your account. It's an experience. It's a reality. It's in Christ Jesus. And when you accept Jesus into your life, that's how eternal life gets on the inside of you. If you do not open your heart up and turn your life over lock, stock, and barrel to the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not have salvation. That's a strong statement, isn't it? A lot of people think, well, how can that be? So-and-so's been bulwark of the church for so many years. That's what the Word of God says. I know that's a startling fact. It took me quite a while to learn to receive that. But if you'll study the Word and look at the people Jesus ministered to, look in Mark the 10th chapter where the rich young ruler came running and fell down at the feet of Jesus and said, Good Master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? You know why he called him Good Master? Because he wasn't wanting to come all the way and say, you're the Messiah. You are the Son of God. He was willing to admit that, boy, he was the best thing around. 
the best thing going, but he was not willing to make him Lord of all. And Jesus, see, his answer shows that because he says, why do you call me good, Master? There's none good but one. That's God. In other words, I'm either God or I'm not. If this goodness is from God, then admit that I'm God or don't. And then he says, you know what the commandments are. The guy said, I've kept them all. And he said, and the Bible says that he beholding him loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And then come, take up your cross and follow me. And that man went away grieved and he didn't accept it. He rejected it because he had great possessions. And the Lord said, how hardly shall they that have money, riches, enter into the kingdom of God. And that man rejected it. Now, if that same situation was to happen tonight, you put aside your religious minds and quit looking at this as happening 2,000 years ago. You look at it present day. If somebody was to come in here today and they were to fall out of my feet and say, Andy, what can I do to get saved? And if I was to look at them and through the discernment of the Holy Ghost, acknowledge that they were not willing to commit themselves to Jesus. They were wanting to get saved. They was wanting to get the conviction out of the way. They was wanting to go part of the way. This guy, this rich young ruler, wanted to go part of the way because he had to get kicked out of the synagogue to even come and acknowledge Jesus, is what it says in John the ninth chapter. So he went part of the way, but he wasn't willing to go all of the way. And if I was to tell somebody, say, you go sell everything you've got and give it to the poor, and then you come back and you can be saved. Most people would crucify me. They'd say, eyes of the devil, boy, that's not salvation. They'd get mad. But that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. I can show you other examples from Luke chapter 11 where he says, unless you hate your own life, your father and mother, your brother, your sister, everything for my sake, you are not worthy of me. And unless a man lose his life, he cannot find it. Now, the Lord hasn't changed his plan of salvation. Man has. Man has preached it real simple. Close your eyes. Everybody bow your heads. Now, so that nobody will be embarrassed, is there anybody that would like to accept Jesus? You can get saved that way. I've known people that really did make a commitment. But I can also tell you that the majority of those people that are so embarrassed to confess the Lord Jesus Christ that they won't do it if anybody's looking on, that they haven't accepted Jesus. They did not make a commitment of their life because Jesus himself said, unless you're willing to confess me before man, I will not confess you before my Father. And confessing him before a man means more than going up and saying, are you a Christian? And they say, oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a member of the church. I'm Baptist. I'm Methodist. I'm whatever. That's not confessing Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You stand before the Lord and you say, oh, I'm Baptist or I'm Methodist. He'll say, Baptist or Methodist what? Big deal. That's not salvation. Everybody get that? That's important that you understand that because we have ministered it wrong. These people that we've seen saved in Lamar this one night, we ministered along these lines of, boy, I got strong. And I said, Jesus died for you, and he didn't die nice and pretty the way some pictures have him pictured. He was so marred, the Bible says, that you couldn't even recognize that he was a man. From Isaiah chapter 52, the last few verses in, in chapter 53, he was marred so that he was not even recognizable as a man. And he was stripped naked. The Son of God was hanging naked in front of people suffering like that. He did it openly. And I told the people, I said, I'm not giving you an easy way out. I said, if you're willing to accept Jesus, stand up and you confess him and ask us to pray with you. I said, we aren't bowing our heads. We aren't making it easy. And I just stood, sat there and looked at them. And there was a couple of people under conviction. And this one girl, she finally stood up. And boy, she raised her hand, clenched her fist. And she says, I do. And boy, she got with it. And she got saved, baptized, and the Holy Ghost spoke in tongues. And did you know that I have never yet had any person that accepted the Lord that way that you had the baby and come along and say, oh, now come on, you know, you, you're changed and all, you know, you don't have to do that. This girl, I told, I told those people, I said, she made a total commitment. It cost her everything she had. And I said, you won't have to worry about babying her. I said, she'll need help. She'll need the word and stuff like that. But she'll go on. Well, this last week she was back. She had her husband they're Spanish couple sitting right beside her. And when I walked in, she says, my husband's going to get it tonight. <laughs> and so sure enough, when we were praying with this guy to receive the baptism, he came up and jerked on my arm. And he says, I want it too. Huh? And I said, well, have you ever made a total commitment of your life to the Lord like your wife did? And he says, no, but I sure want to. And I said, well, just confess it. And he says, I make it right now. And I said, well, are you saved? I'm saved. Boy, he got excited. And I said, receive the Holy Ghost. He received the Holy Ghost. Spoke in tongues. 
And while that was going on, there was another guy that wanted to get up there and get saved, but it happened so quick he didn't have time. And so when we finally got through and I was standing around praising the Lord, they said there was another guy that wanted to get saved. So I found him and I said, do you want to accept the Lord? And he said, I just did. And man, <laughs> so he accepted the baptism of the Holy Ghost and he spoke in tongues. Amen. You don't have to worry about people like that when it's presented that way. But the reason we have so much trouble in our churches trying to get all of these people turned on and stuff is because you can't make a goat act like a sheep. And we got majority of goats running our churches. Amen. But brothers and sisters, I don't mean that to hurt anybody, but our eyes need to be open that what we have considered the holy, righteous church realm is carnal. It is not God's system, and there are many people, there's many preachers that don't even know the Lord Jesus Christ. Just because a guy got his collar on backwards, or if he wears a clerical robe, or if he's got a diploma hanging on a wall. Big deal. Do you think heaven registers everybody's diploma? Who cares if the government's got you registered? That doesn't mean a lick outside of you just performing a marriage ceremony. I think I need, need one so that I can be legal. But the only reason I got any of that stuff, God ordained me from before the foundation of the world. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says so, and many, many other scriptures. I didn't do none of that stuff to be approved by God. I did it so I could be legal in the eyes of man. It's the only thing. That has nothing to do with whether God called me or not. You can send $5 in in the mail and get you a license to preach and be ordained. Did you know it? And you don't even have to list whether you're a Christian or not. There's a guy that does that stuff. California, for $5, anybody in here can become a licensed and ordained minister. Doesn't matter if you know the Lord or not. Big deal. We need to open up our eyes. I don't care who says they're a minister. If God didn't establish them, if God didn't call them to minister, they aren't a minister. I don't care whose church they belong to or how pious or holy they look or how long they've gone there or how good their intentions are. If they have not accepted Jesus into their life and made a personal commitment to Him, they do not know the Lord. I don't care if they believe all of this stuff is true. If they haven't personally committed themselves to it, they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. A Muslim has a more rigid set of values than what you do. They live a holier life than what you do. They restrict themselves and discipline themselves, and they are worshiping a one true God. And a Muslim would tell you that they're worshiping the same God you're worshiping. That's what this guy up in Lamar was telling this lady this last week that we're all worshiping the one true God. But that's just as wrong as it can be because there is no way to that one true God except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12 says, There is no other name given, un given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved. And there is no salvation in any other. There is no other way except through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are people who are religious that have every intention of going to heaven but have never realized that salvation is a personal commitment and relationship with Jesus. And if they die, they're going to go to hell and they are going to be surprised, surprised, surprised to be there. And that sounds hard. I know people don't like that because the first thing they start thinking about is, what about my relatives? What about my friends? Well, that's a harsh statement. But we do not have the right to sit there and alter the gospel to make it accommodate our needs. God's truth is what's going to stand. God is going to judge people by his word, not by what anybody says about it. And I don't care if a person has been sitting under the wrong person and hearing the wrong thing and has accepted it and believed it and sold themselves out to a lie. It doesn't make any difference. The truth is there, the Word of God is there, and they're going to be held accountable by God's truth, not by what somebody else says about it. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. It's not what we started on, but that was good, wasn't it? Amen. That really needs to be made known. It really does. That is something that people have to receive. But the reason I got on that, it's a perfect parallel with receiving anything else from the Lord. You see, there's lots of people that are saying, oh, I believe there's God. Well, the devils believe and tremble. But won't you know, vain man, that faith without works is dead. So what if you believe there's a God? Have you done what he said to do? Have you received it? Have you made a personal commitment of yourself to the Lord Jesus? You can turn the same thing around to healing. You can turn the same thing around to receiving your blessings, your victory, your power, your anointing from God, anything. Sure, you believe God can heal, big deal. 
I'm never running into a drunk or an alcoholic or somebody that we might consider as being an overt sinner and terrible sinner. I've never yet run into any of those people who are down and out that disbelieve that God could do whatever he wanted to do. I have never done it. I run into a lot of religious people that don't believe God can heal and do all that kind of stuff. But I've never run into just an old out-and-out sinner that didn't believe God could do whatever he felt like doing. But the problem is getting them to believe God will do it for them. Right? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For those that come to him must. Now this is some of the prerequisites of your faith. Faith. You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. So you've got to believe at least two things is what that scripture says. You've got to believe that God is, not that he was 2,000 years ago. Not that God did it back then. You've got to believe that Jesus is. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You've got to believe that he is, and you've got to believe that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You've got to believe, like Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says, you've got to believe you receive when you pray. Not later, but when you pray. A person that prays and says, Oh, God, I know you can heal. God, I know you can heal. I ask you to heal. And they may be Pentecost. We had a lady at church yesterday that had some of that old Pentecost stuff in her and moan and wail and stuff. And I'm not making fun of her for that. There's no difference between that and the old Baptist that says, Lord, we come before you so humbly today. It's the same thing. It's just the opposite extreme. Both of it is just religious. Did you know it? Some people have a pat prayer that they pray every time. And I remember this one guy that used to always pray, Lord, just forgive us of our many sins for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, that whole last bit of the prayer is just as unscriptural. You don't sit there and at the end of your prayer say, Lord, forgive us of our many sins. If you got any sins, you ought to get them out before you ever start praying. Amen. Not tack it on to the end of your prayer. And you don't pray for Jesus' sake. You're supposed to pray in the name of Jesus. And a person that's praying for Jesus' sake has never understood what you, what you mean by saying in the name of Jesus. There is power and authority in that. And for Jesus' sake carries none of it. For Jesus' sake is just as unscriptural as can be. So you see, that's no different than the old Pentecostal wail and moan and groan and hoop and holler. It's just a religious form that is vain, carries no weight with it, is not godly at all. But this lady was there moaning and groaning, Oh, Lord, we know you can heal, we know all this. But did you know she didn't believe God <laughs> She knew he could. She'd been healed of cancer. She's supposed to be dead. She had this big old thing sticking out on her side like this, and she was healed of cancer. It was a miraculous healing. But you know, she was not operating in faith. I'm not condemning that woman. I'm simply saying that what she was doing was not faith. She was saying, Lord, we know you can. We know you can. We know you can. You might as well forget it. You see, all she was doing was confessing that God is able. That is not faith. You not only have to believe that he is, you not only have to believe that he's able, but you have to believe that he rewards you for diligently seeking. You've got to believe that when you pray in faith that it is done. And a person that will just believe that God's able has not operated in faith at all. They haven't released the power of God. And this is where so many people miss it. Boy, they come and they say, Oh, Lord, I know you can heal. And they may cry and bawl and squall and they may mean it with all of their heart. But did they believe that he rewarded them for seeking? That's what Hebrews 11, 6 says. You must, M-U-S-T, must, right? Believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, if you pray for something and believe that God is, it'll profit you nothing unless you push over into the realm where, Lord, not only can you do it, but you have done it for me. Amen? Until you do that, you haven't even started. That is the first step. And there's a lot of other things to do, but that right there is the reason. I'd say that's probably the biggest reason that uh, people don't begin to receive their healings. I've heard people stand up and preach sermons on healing. And you know all their sermon on healing was is God can heal. They give some examples where it happened, and they'll stand up and shout and yell and hoop and holler, God heals, God heals. You might as well get up and quote, Mary had a little lamb for all the good that's going to do. Because just instilling in people the knowledge that God can do it will not profit them any at all. You've got to instill in them the knowledge that God has done it and are you going to do it. That's where faith comes. That's where victory and power begins to flow. 
And it may sound religious and it may sound good to some people, but you have not proclaimed the Word of God until you proclaim that it is done on God's part and what are you going to do with it? Amen? Amen? Now that's the way that God intended it to be presented. You not only got to believe that He is, but you've also got to believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Let's look in this James chapter 2 where we were and take this same example that we just read. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? The answer to that is yes. Now the way you keep this from contradicting Romans chapter 4 is you've got to understand what kind of work it's talking about. Romans chapter 4 says that you are saved by faith. It's speaking of Abraham. So we see that Abraham was saved by faith without the deeds of the law. And some people have come along and have preached faith, 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 and grace, grace, grace to the extent that they say, it, you have nothing to do with it. It is simply the grace of God. You're saved by grace. It's just nothing but God's grace. Haven't we all heard that? But that's unscriptural. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You are not saved only by grace. You are saved by grace through faith. It has to be faith coupled with it. Because, see, there's a scripture in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, that says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. So if grace was the only thing that produced salvation, every person would be saved because the Bible says it has appeared unto all men. God's grace is extended upon everybody. God's grace is as much upon an unbeliever out here tonight as it is upon me. But the difference is I have become a receiver of it. I have mixed it with faith. And so therefore I was saved by grace through faith. They haven't mixed faith with it and therefore they are still operating under the curses of the old law and in their own depression and stuff simply because they didn't put faith in the grace of God. Does everybody see that? You're saved by grace through faith. So this is not talking about in Romans chapter 4 where it says that you're saved by grace without the deeds of the law. That's a true statement. But what James is talking about, it's not talking about deeds of the law. In other words, a deed of the law is like the Old Testament law was given. You do this, this, and this, or you will be damned. It is not that way. There is no law there. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do penance. It's all by grace. The only thing you have to do is faith. Faith does have to be present to receive. And... Uh, Romans chapter 4 also verifies that because it uses interchangeably talking about grace. It says Abraham was saved by faith. The promise was given by faith. And so it talks about faith involved in there. But then James, what he's talking about, he's not talking about a work of the law. He's talking about a work of faith, which is verified in 1 Thessalonians. Let's look at this scripture. Y'all stick with me. We'll get something good here in just a minute. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 3, he's praying a prayer and he says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Y'all see that? Romans talks about a work of the law, and yet most of us are still operating in that system. Like say, for instance, if something goes wrong, and if you get sick or if something falls apart, many people say, Lord, why is this happening? I've been working in the church for you. I go to church every week and I do this and I've been praying and I've been seeking you. What are you doing? You're saying, I've done this. I deserve that. That's operating under the law. You don't get anything from God because you deserve it. You get things from God because you can believe it. Did you know it? That's a whole other teaching, but I sure hope you all get that. That's powerful. So this is what James is talking about. Not a work of the law where you deserve something because you did this. But it's talking about that faith, God's kind of faith, has to have works. Faith alone will save you, but a God kind of faith will never be alone. It will always have actions. And he verifies it. He says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give him not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? It's vain. It's no good at all. 
A person can say that they have faith in God, but if their life doesn't begin to act like they have faith in God, their faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. Verse 20 says so. Faith without acting on it, faith without corresponding actions is dead, and it will not work. So this is not saying that Abraham was justified by his works. He didn't earn salvation. He was justified by faith, but it was a kind of faith that had works, works of faith. If he hadn't acted in faith, if Abraham had have just said, well, I believe the promise of God that I'm going to go out and inherit a land which God will swear to me, I believe it. And if he really believed it, but if he never had got out of uh, Haran and have begun to wander and do what God told him, if he hadn't acted on that faith, Abraham, we would have been saying tonight, Abraham who? Nobody ever would have heard of him, even though God would have been just as committed to him as he is now. But Abraham wouldn't have acted in obedience, and it wouldn't have worked. That faith would not have produced a single thing. Y'all see that? So this is one of the most powerful things that God has shown me concerning being able to receive your answers from God. You've got to have accompanying works. Faith without works is dead. And this is where a lot of people miss it. It's because they release faith, but then their works are works of unbelief, not works of faith. Let's substitute for the word works, say actions. You can simply say that you've got to have actions of faith. If a person prays and believes for something and then acts unbelief, they kill that faith, even if they operated in the supernatural faith of God. If a person prays for healing and then gets up and says, Lord, I believe I'm healed, and then they go and say, I better go lay down in bed, and I better start popping my pills, and I better start doing this and doing this and doing this, they have acted unbelief. Now, this can vary according to a person's knowledge, it can vary according to how many people are interceding. It can vary according to a thousand and one different things. But we're talking about that if there was no other intercession, if they knew the truth, if all of these kind of things, then they would be acting unbelief and their faith will die if you pray one thing and act another. Also, the Bible says that you have to believe from your heart. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And Jesus himself said, out of the heart proceed the issues of life or our actions. What you're acting is what's in your heart, right? And you'll find out that under emergencies, you will act automatically before your mind has time to think. Why? Because out of your heart proceed the issues of life. You'll panic sometimes and do what's in your heart. This plane crash that they had in the Canary Islands that some of you heard about and heard Norman Williams' Norman Williams' testimony. The reason those people panicked and the reason there was so much vileness and ungodliness coming out of people who were religious, good, religious, wholesome people was because in their heart they hadn't believed. They had regulated themselves with the doctrine all of their life, but what was in their heart came out during a calamity. God made your mind to stop functioning during a calamity and let the power that's in your heart just come straight out. But if you haven't got anything there, then what comes out is depression and all the ungodliness and everything else. Y'all see that? What's in your heart what you lack. If I was to say tonight, say there's a the place is on fire, it's burning down. Now, if y'all really believe that from your heart, there's no way that you just sit there and poke the guy next to you and say, well, this place is on fire. It's burning down. We're going to die. If we don't get out of here, go to talking about it. See, that's impossible. We can't even conceive of that because if you really believe something with your heart, you have to take corresponding actions. A person that sits there and says, I believe this place is going to burn down if I don't get out of here. They don't believe it. Somehow or another, they're just deceived because they would have actions to go along with it. There's a lot of people that say they believe something, but you can tell by their actions what they really believe. Jesus himself said the same thing. He says, there'll be many wolves and sheep clothing come unto you, and the way he said you can discern them was how? By their fruit she shall know them. What their life is producing. A person that says that they're believing and that they're doing this and their life is the opposite, just do it in love and say, Brother, I love you. I'm not against you, but the Bible says you're a liar. Amen. First John chapter 2, verse 4, If any man says that he knows me and keeps not my commandments, the same is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Amen. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Y'all getting mouthful or earful tonight. Praise the Lord. But that's true. That's what the Word of God says. And you see, this is where it's been blown is because religion teaches so many things. Yes, believe it, believe it, believe it, believe it, believe it. 
But they haven't stressed that if you really believe something, you've got to act it, act it, act it. That's where the stress ought to be. Because there's a lot of so-called Christians that would stand up and say, Oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. But they never have acted on it once. You can go into the majority of Pentecostal churches. Now, this really blew my mind when I first found this out. But I thought the Pentecostals had a corner on the Holy Ghost the whole time when I found out about it. And I began to fellowship with Pentecostals. And you can go into a Pentecostal church. And did you know that I have yet... Now, of course... This is a broad statement. This is according to my limited knowledge. But of all of the Pentecostals I've ministered to, I don't think I've ever found a Pentecostal church where over 50% of the people had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And yet they have heard it. I've talked to people that from the time they was a little tiny kid heard about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, may have heard messages in tongues, and yet don't have it. And that just blew my mind. But, you know, when I got around it, I found out that what happened, they preached it, they talked it, but they just didn't act it. And that's where the power is missed. I was brought up in a denominational church that every Wednesday night was prayer meeting, and they had a special prayer meeting. They met together, and they got a list and made a list of the sick and prayed for the sick. Sounds good. But they never had corresponding actions. If somebody they'd have prayed for would have got up out of the hospital and said, I'm healed, I'm going home, man, they'd have been the first one to say, oh, man, get an ambulance, rush them back. <laughs> now, isn't that true? How many times have we prayed for the sick? Lord, heal the sick. And if they'd have got healed, we'd have been the first one to say, it's of the devil. God doesn't do that stuff anymore. Boy, now that's hypocrisy. But you see, it's not detected because that's the way that all of religion has come. They may preach some of the truth, but do they act it? Is it acted on? The Baptist church that I came out of, the last one I came out of, they even acknowledged the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They had a big banner out there that says, Be baptized with the Holy Ghost and stuff. And they talked about preaching in tongues, and I mean, uh, praying in tongues, and said that it was a God-given gift. They prayed for the sick. They saw people healed of cancer. I was one of them. I got healed of infectious hepatitis through a guy praying for me and anointing me with oil in a Baptist healing service, Wednesday night healing service. They had special healing service. And they talked about it, and they went through the motions. They anointed with oil. But that preacher no more expected anybody to be healed. He was so hopped up on dope that night, I found out later when I went back to see to this doctor to get, the reason I found out all this, I had to get a physical to get married. And they took my blood test, found out I had infectious hepatitis, and I had to go get a release before I could get married. So I went back to the doctor and told him about it and stuff, and he said that that same day, the preacher that prayed for me came in, and he was so high on dope that he couldn't have done anything. And I did know somebody else preached that night. He didn't know it, you know. Well, see, they look good. And boy, that really confused a lot of people. But you know, the thing was, they'd get up and say, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is real, speaking in tongues is real. But, and then, if you ever do it, you better be sure. Boy, it's of the devil if you... And they put so much unbelief out that, that there never, ever, ever, ever has been a prophecy in tongues in that church. There never has been any true manifestation of God. They saw some people healed when they anointed with oil because I was believing, because a lot of people that didn't know any better were really releasing their faith, and it happened in spite of it. But I guarantee you, you can look at that church today, six, seven years later, and it's just as dead as a doornail. They're still holding to the same form, but they don't see anything happen. And did you know that that was the strongest bondage I've ever been in because they had a right form, but they didn't have the power. It wasn't active in their life. The people who were up preaching it and talking it were talking it because it was, because it was the going thing. It was charismatic, but it, they didn't act it. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, in the last time there would be people who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof from such, turn away. 2 Timothy 3, 12 says to do it, and that is a sign of the end time. You are going to find that there are going to be bunches of people out saying, saying, saying. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, look at this scripture. Hebrews chapter 13 Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. All of us have heard that before, right? And quoted it. Well, you ought to find out why it's there. Amen. Look at verse uh, 7. And then at verse 9. In verse 7 it says, Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Did it say to follow those people that have spoken to you the Word of God? It said to follow their faith. Faith without works is dead. 
it goes on to say in James, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, he's saying, when he says, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Conversation is like in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, and many other places. Conversation here means manner of life, actions. You consider the end of their actions. I don't care what they say on Sunday. You look at them on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and if it doesn't match up the rest of the week, you kick out what they said on Sunday. Right? That's what he's saying. He said, don't just follow them. Follow their faith, considering the end of their conversation. And then he sticks verse 8 in there. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why is that phrase there? It's to show you that Jesus doesn't change. Jesus doesn't say something on Sunday and do something else on Monday. If a person is really speaking from the Lord, what they have spoken on Sunday will be active on Monday through Saturday. If it's Jesus that's living in them, it'll work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It won't just work one time a week or something like that. Then look at the next verse. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Now, verse 7 and verse 9 are both talking about not being carried about with divers and strange doctrines. Consider the end of their faith. It's both talking about how to discern the truth. And then verse 8 is stuck in there. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the reason he emphasized that is because if a person's really speaking the truth, they'll be living it. Now, I'm not saying a person will be perfect. With none of us have attained, you might see somebody make a mistake, but they will be headed in the direction to the best of their ability. They'll be acting what they are saying if they are saying it through the Spirit of the Lord. A person can get up and quote Scripture and say some of the right things, but if they aren't living it, it will produce death within you. Second Corinthians. Let's look at a Scripture in Second Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 6, he says, Who hath also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. What does that mean? What is a letter? If you'll compare this with Mark the 7th chapter, Jesus was in his hometown, and the people were offended at him and said, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? The letter, the scriptural term letter that he's talking about, in other words, how does this man know this knowledge, having never gone to school? Letter is a term used for just knowledge, the the cut-and-dried part of it. Like, say, for instance, we might look at a sentence. I might read it and get what that sentence says, what it means. An English teacher might look at the same sentence, and all they could see is the subject, the direct object, and the prepositions, and all of the adverbs and the adjectives and all of these kind of things, you see, and they may not ever get out of it what it says. They would have the letter. They would have the knowledge of what it says, maybe better than what I did, but they never got the spirit out of it. They never got what that sentence was saying. And so this is what he's saying. He says this is the same thing under anything, even the Word of God. If all you're going to say is just the letter, if all you're going to do is just quote the, the words and not minister the Spirit that's in it, the letter will kill. Religion is killing. Satan has people up here quoting the truth, disguising himself as an angel of light, getting up here saying, this is it. But they don't emphasize live it. They don't emphasize get out of it what it's saying. Apply it. Use it. If you say that you do it and don't do it, you, are, you make God a liar. And because of it, there are volumes of people that acknowledge the truth with their head but don't act it, and they're deceived. Let's look at one more scripture in James, the first chapter, about this. James chapter 1, in verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a doer of the word and not a... I mean, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein... Notice the emphasis, and continueth therein. In other words, acts on it. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, those scriptures show you it does no good to hear even the truth if you don't act on it. And it also says in that 22nd verse that if you hear the truth but don't act on it, you deceive your own self. Now, deception is the strongest tool that the devil has against anything. Like I said, the old drunkard is easier to reach than the majority of church people because he's not in deception. Y'all see what I'm saying through that? 
He may be living in sin, but sin's no problem. Sin has been paid for. The punishment and the bondage of sin is broke. But the strongest thing to be able to counter is deception. And those people know that they're wrong. They know that there's something else. They have the conviction of it. It's easy to reach them. I have never yet had an old drunkard or somebody like that come out against me and withstand what I'm saying. Matter of fact, this guy named uh, Ned Locke, well, George Love and Ned Locke came to one of our services at Pritchett. George Love was so drunk he couldn't even stand up straight. His nose was all rosy and everything, and he was strong. And he came to the service. I'm glad he did, amen. That's where they need to be coming, hear the gospel. But he stood up and started testifying. He started talking about how he was so good, and people talked about him being a drunk, and it wasn't true. And he, you know, and he was going on carrying on. And he was putting everybody down and says, I'm not bad, I'm this and I'm that. And I just finally stopped him. And uh, he was really getting pretty rough. And there were some of the guys that were ready to stand up and haul him out. And I just looked at him and I said, Ned, I said, I'm not against you, but I said, you're a liar. And boy, he looked at me and he got mad and he started at me. And I said, the word of God says in 1 John 2, 4, if you say that you know me and keep not my commandments, you're a liar and the truth isn't in him. And I said, Ned, you're drunk. And I said, you're lying. I said, you, you can say you know God all day long, but you are a liar. The truth is not in you. And I said, we love him. We want to pray for him. Boy, he looked at me, and those guys thought they was going to have to pull him off of me. And he says, you're right. He says, I need prayer. And see, a guy like that, he may have said one thing with his mouth, but he knew better in his heart, stone drunk. He knew better than that. But I've had religious people come at me when I counter them with the Word of God. And boy, I mean, we've been into it for hours and hours, and they've still left deceived. That's harder to reach than it is an old alcoholic. Did you know it? And deception's the strongest thing. And this scripture right here says the way deception comes is by being a hearer of the word of the word. Not of unbelief, not of lies, not of things of the devil. A hearer of the word and not a doer. And this is the thing that, boy, I abhor in religion. Now, when I'm talking about religion, I don't hate people in it. I was in religion, amen. God loved me just as much then as he does now. But that system I was in liked to have killed me because I was hearing, but I was not free to do. If I had have done what I heard some people say, they'd have kicked me out of the church as being of the devil. Amen? They talked about, oh, the Lord wants to bless you and give you power and an abundant life. Man, if I started coming up and living abundantly, if I started prospering and really getting rich or something like that, the first thing they'd have said, that's of the devil. Man, you're supposed to be poor. If you're a preacher, you're supposed to be poor. Well, see, things like that, that old religious doctrine. They had all of these things where they said some of the truth, but they put all of these restrictions on you trying to keep you from acting on it. That'll kill your faith. It makes you deceived, and that's the strongest bondage there is. That's one of the reasons we have to get strong sometimes. See, like we're talking tonight, is to be able to break through your religious crust, amen? Don't think I'm jumping on you. This is doing me a lot of good, boy. I'm, I still am renewing myself from those old things that I learned, see, back in Egypt. And we need to get all of those things renewed and out of us and out of the way. But that is the strongest bondage. Now, if you'll tie everything we've said and put it back in with James chapter 2, see? Man's the one that put chapter 2 up there. Chapter 2 is part of chapter 1 according to God's system. He didn't write in chapter 1 and chapter 2, okay? So what he said right here in James chapter 1 is the exact same thought that he had in James chapter 2 in verse 20 when he says, Faith without works is dead. In other words, if you just hear and don't act, you will kill your faith. And I have seen some people that receive the truth. Take, for instance, the instance of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit and miracles and things like that. I have seen some people who acknowledged that it was the truth, received it themselves, spoke in it, acted on it themselves, but because of false doctrine went and submitted themselves back into a situation under an elder and under a position where they could not act on it, where they couldn't say anything because if they would, they'd get church. They'd get kicked out of the thing. And I've seen those people sit there and believe it with their head, believe it with their head, but not be free to act on it. And after a period of time, after the new wears off and all they hear is unbelief, 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 I've seen those people get to the point where they don't act in it themselves and their faith flat dies. And I could show you a bunch of people that I have ministered the baptism of the Holy Ghost to now that have said that they don't believe they ever got it. And they spoke in tongues. They used it for a year or more, but wouldn't even acknowledge that they have it now because they sat under unbelief and under unbelief. They tried to hold on to it with the fact that they had it. 
But don't be deceived. I don't care what you get. If you fail to keep acting on it, your faith dies. Faith without works is dead. And a person that says they acknowledge something with their head but will not act on it or allows themselves to be put in a position where they can't act on it, their faith will die. The Word of God will not pass away. Your faith will die. And I used to wonder in this old church I was in, see, I believed in this stuff that I'm talking about tonight for two years before I got out of the church I was in because I was going to change them. Man, I was going to convert the whole group. And so I stayed in there, knowing for two years that it was ungodly, I disliked it, I didn't enjoy it, I didn't get my meat there, I had to go to other places to get fed. I couldn't get fed, I couldn't get ministered to where I was, and I hung on, hung on. And did you know that I would wonder why I'm getting dried up? And I'd go hear Kenneth Copeland. Man, we, we were right, privileged to be right where Kenneth Copeland started ministering before anybody ever heard of him. He couldn't draw more than 30 or 40 people. Man, we'd go hear him. And we'd be sitting right there on the front row listening to him. And we'd get so turned on and fired up, boy, we couldn't understand it. And I'd go back and I'd last maybe a week in our Baptist church. And I'd wonder, and I'd say, Jamie, what's wrong? How come I feel good around them? We come back here, it just doesn't work. And what it was, I was submitting myself. They were acting their unbelief, but I wasn't free to act my faith. And I was killing it, and it had died. And I wasn't aware of it because, see, with my head, I was still saying, no, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. But I was not acting on it, and it was dying within me, and I wasn't perceiving it. And finally, when all of that opened up to me, and I made my break, and I got out, and I said, I will never again, never again, I made a commitment, never again will I not act on what I believe. I don't care whose feather it ruffles, I don't care who it goes against, I am going to act on what I believe. I haven't lived up to it perfect, but I'm saying that was my commitment from that time on. That's been what I tried to do. And did you know that, boy, my life transformed overnight. I couldn't begin to tell you how it changed. And just this last Thursday, the guy that ministered this last Thursday for us is a guy that's ministered twice at Pritchett. He was good at Pritchett, but, boy, Thursday up there, he came out with some of the worst stuff when he was ministering to people. And in love, I had to go up and put my arm around him and say, Brother, you're just as wrong as you can be, and say, Thus saith the Lord, and counter it. And most people would think, how terrible, boy, that's the worst thing you could have done. But you've got to stand for the truth. Amen? And I stood, and I countered it, and did you know people came up after that thing was over? I thought about, oh, boy, now people are really going to think I'm terrible now. They came up, and this one lady, Donita, she says, if you hadn't countered him, says, I just was going to lose all faith in you. She says, I thought for sure you weren't going to counter it for a while. And people got turned on and excited, and that man appreciated it. We sat down and talked, and he says, well, I believe like you believe, but he says, I'm just a little afraid of speaking it out. And, and I ministered to him, and I think it helped him, and it accomplished. Lots of people think, you know, well, if Jesus could be here. Well, he's here, amen. And what I'm saying is the exact same words Jesus would say to you if he's here. And a lot of people will find that hard to believe. But if Jesus and his physical person was here ministering, he'd minister the word, and I guarantee you he wouldn't pat us on the back and say, oh, you're doing so good, and you you have just got things in such great shape. He'd tell us the truth, amen, even if it hurt. But even if Jesus ministered, you could not receive anything unless you acted on it. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.